0: Take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 12, it ought to fall open there by now, but we're going to make tracks. I'm glad to be back, most of you know that uh, Teresa and I took a week of vacation that ended last Sunday morning, and I appreciate Aaron filling in, and uh, that's always great to have that confidence that I can be gone and the pulpit's in good hands, so thanks Aaron for that. Uh, I, I need to let you in on a little secret, though, from our trip. Um, I was su- subjected to cruel and unusual punishment while I was gone. Have you ever heard of a place in northern Arkansas called War Eagle? That's a concentration camp trainee place for guards, I think. Um, I'm told that it's the place that they have the world's largest craft fair. I personally refer to that as a sloth convention. <laughs> it was—I I don't know—I probably aged about eight years that hour and a half that we were there. Um, We—it took us. Just this, this give you a point of reference for this. All right, and I am going somewhere with this, but um, it took us fifty minutes, five zero minutes to go the final mile and a quarter. It's a one—you know—one bridge. Uh, entrance and exit, just a one-lane bridge. And so we sat in a line of cars uh, for, uh, oh, it was just unbelievable. And it should have been evidence for us that what happened once we got there could not be good. And uh, so so while I was there, and by the way, I wasn't there because that's the stuff I like to do. And Teresa wasn't necessarily there because that's stuff she likes to do. As it turns out, we both saw the light and found a good reason to leave early. But, here's what I want you to get. While we were there, I told her, this must be what cows feel like when they're in that slaughterhouse line where they're just slowly going in. Because, I kid you not, this is how fast we could walk. Everywhere we went. Now, it's in that context that I get to what I really want to get at here. What would cause anybody to want to do that? Now, motivation is a big topic. And uh, actually it's one that I've been fascinated with for a long time, actually several decades, because uh, everything we do in life has a motivation element to it. You're going to get up tomorrow, most of you are, and you're going to have to choose, do I go to work or do I just stay in bed? Or do I go to school and, or just stay in bed? And your answer to that is dependent on what motivates you. If you're questioning whether you're going to get up and go to school or get up and do your studies at home, uh, how you answer that probably depends on how hard you think your dad or your mom can hit you. If you are trying to decide whether you're going to go to work or not, it might have something to do with whether or not you're going to get paid for going. It's amazing when you start looking at the whole question of motivation, uh, what drives people. So now I'm back to War Eagle and that 18 years worth of hour and a half that we live there. And and I started watching these people. And here's, well first of all, I, I got to the point where I'm older than I think I am most of the time now. Because I, for all, much of my life, Teresa likes to do certain kind of shopping. We don't ever do much buying, but seem like we do a lot of shopping. And, uh, there's a certain kind of element to that that she likes to do. And so I've historically kind of done that with her, but I've always made fun of the men with the old wives. And I didn't say that was in here. I just, okay. So here's what I see, right? I see these men who are walking like this. And it's like somebody went in and scooped half of their brain out and all they know to do is follow their wives around while their wives are doing the shopping in these particular things, right? Now, there's a few smart men in the bunch, okay? They're the guys that you find sitting down somewhere. Now, their wives are nowhere to be found, okay? They're off shopping somewhere, but these guys are smart enough to sit down somewhere and take it all in. But I find myself walking along behind trees like this the whole time. <laughs> so I'm going, wow, man, I need to, I need to bump this up. So I started watching the crowd and it drove me to this question. What motivates people to do that in a world that operates at warp speed? Why would anybody drive out to the middle of nowhere? And take forever to get there and then do nothing other than just walk around and look at the junk that somebody's trying to sell. And the answer to that is something motivates them to do it. I'm going to take that motivation question. I want to put it right in your lap as it relates to your Christian life. What motivates you to be obedient to what God has to say to you? Now, we could put it in a church context, and I want to make sure that we're making the distinction well here, okay? Just because somebody is involved in church work doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing God's work, okay? It's a really important distinction to make there. We can do a lot of religious stuff and miss God totally in the process. But what motivates you in the Christian life? And we've been looking at Abraham, and actually his name hasn't been changed yet, so I'll be interchangeable with it, but we just need to know at this point in Genesis chapter 12, his name is Abram. He's just now on the scene. And we've been for about a month in verse 1, which is where we find that God calls Abram. Uh, let's just go ahead and read that. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And we've been there for a while and we've looked at some of the complexities of that and how God has said to him in this one verse, I want you to leave all of the security systems of your life and I want you to trust me. Question of motivation. The motivation comes in. What would motivate him to abandon everything that gave him stability in his life? And walk away. Well, we know that he walks away because in verse 4 we find that stated. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. But what motivates him to do that? Let me pull it off of him and put it back on us for a moment. What motivates you when we come to talk to people about coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? One of the things that we use in that process... Is some kind of motivation for them. We build it into the way we present the gospel. And essentially, I'm gonna put it in my terms. It sounds a little bit heavy, but I, you know, I don't really mean it as hard, harshly as it sounds. But we essentially say to somebody, you need to know Jesus Christ, because if you don't, you're gonna to go to hell. And so the motivation in that is, if you'll trust Jesus Christ, He becomes your get-out-of-hell-free card. That's a little bit overstated, but not too much. So we understand that motivation part of even coming to know Jesus in the first place. I'm going to say to you before this is all said and done a number of different ways... It's not wrong for us to hold out the positive side, I'll use the church term here, the blessing side of coming to know Jesus in order to help somebody come to know him. That's actually what Jesus did. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have a mediocre sort of okay life. That's not what he said, right? He said, I have come that you may have life... That'll blow your mind. Well, that sounds to me like a pretty good, and motivating kind of a statement. We watch these folks here who simply use Scripture to emphasize the blessing part of who Jesus is and what He is and what He brings to our lives. All of that's okay, solid, even. But let's come back and look at our own motives for a while. I want to come back to this passage now. Let's look and see what we get here. One of the things that that I'm always intrigued with when it comes to Abraham, and actually all of the heroes of the faith as we study through them in Scripture, is, is some of the nuances of their life and how God moved in them to get them to do some of the things that he got them to do. I have to just be... Dead level, honest, and transparent with you. If God came to me today and He said, I want you to leave all of your stuff behind and all of your security systems behind and I want you to just launch out down the highway and I'll tell you when you get there. I would say, I need more information. But I'm faithless like that sometimes. God excels in motivating people. I I remember a number of times, my dad was a great motivator. But he used pain as the motivator. One time I got in serious trouble during the middle of the night. It's not really important what I did or didn't do. But I'll just say it this way. That by the time the police left the house, uh, it was almost time to get up. My dad would not allow me to sleep late that day. I remember vividly as he walked past my bed, he kicked the bed, and in a voice that seemed like it was out of the pit of hell, he said, get up. Let me tell you something, I was motivated to get up because I knew that I would die in bed in just a matter of moments if I didn't. You ever have people like that? You people who motivate you well? I mean, nobody motivates like God motivates Hear me say this. Okay, You may not hear anything else I say, but hear this. God can motivate you with blessings, or he can motivate you with consequences. But he's going to get you motivated one way or the other. For it's all said and done. Scripture says that eventually, at some point, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's because we're going to be motivated to do it. So let's come back to Abraham and let's kind of walk our way through a couple of things here. Uh, In this little passage, verses 2 and 3, there are seven different statements that God gives to Abram that moves him from the call of verse 1 to the obedience of verse 4. Seven different statements. I'm not going to walk through them all today. I'm not going to try to explain every one of them. I'm going to give you a couple of big truths that come off of this. And here's the first one. God has a plan for your life. What are your plans for the day? Let's just start right there where most of us are thinking. Now, what's for lunch? And some of us have already kind of planned out our lunch, right? I'm hoping that Teresa's got our plans firmly established. (laughs) But we got our plans, right? Now, I'm a planner. I'm a planning kind of guy. Matter of fact, I can tell you that while I was on vacation, before I got home, I had my week planned out. I might even have my week planned out from this point forward. What are your plans for this week, for today? What are the plans you have for your finances over the next 25 years? And some of you are going, well, I haven't really thought about planning 25 years ahead. You should. I can put you in contact with a few people who help you with that if you need to. The better question for us may be, how do we make our plans What is it that goes into the planning process for us, especially in those big chunks of our lives like, oh, let's say the spiritual part of who we are? Where does God fit into the plans and the planning of your life? What we find here between the end of chapter 11... And the beginning or the end of verse 1 of chapter 12. So when we drop off in chapter 11 and we get to verse 1, by the end of that we have this basic truth. It's one of those consistent things that we find with God all through scripture. Here it is. God broke into Abram's plans and everything changed after that. Verse 1 again. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Now I'm just going to stop reading right there. I don't believe that Abraham woke up on any given morning before this and thought, you know, I just think that I'm going to go. I think I'm going to leave all of my security stuff behind and just walk off into the sunset like they do in the movies and just everything will change. God broke into his life. He breaks into our lives. And the reality of that has to say to us, when we live in obedience to God blessings follow that. But that means, put those two truths together, all right? God breaks into our reality. Now, he doesn't do that every day. A lot of times he just says, hey, I've already told you what my will is. Follow it. But sometimes God gets very specific and very individual with us. The only reason I'm a minister today is because at some point in my life, God broke into my plans and everything changed after that. So God will break in, but when he breaks in like that, as we find in verse one, he leaves us with a choice. We get to verses two and three, the motivators that he gives. Well, I probably should read those. I haven't done that yet. Let's do that. But here's the deal. When we get to verses two and three, God said, okay, here's what you do for it. What we need to see as I read through this is God says, here's what I want you to do. Here's the benefit for you. Now you choose what you do. So here's what we find, verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Seven different clauses there, seven statements of blessing that God says, Okay, Abram, here's your motivation. I'm going to do some things for you. I'm going to do some things through you, but all in all, I'm going to be the one driving this whole thing. God has a plan for your life just like he did with Abram. If that's true, then it argues that we should pay attention to God, that we should live our lives in such a way that we're regularly listening for the voice of God. Let me give you a couple of examples of that out of Scripture. Scripture. Jonah's on my mind these days because of part of our vacation. I'll come back to that in a little bit if I have time. But think about Jonah. Here's Jonah minding his own business, and God breaks into his reality, and what does he say to him? Go. God's big on the big go thing for us. Even Jesus himself is going to say to his disciples, what? Go. Wouldn't it be easier if God... God just let us say, you know, I'm just going to kind of dabble in doing stuff right here. Don't make me go. <laughs> churches are full of that mentality. That's why we have so many inept churches. So God says to Jonah, go, I've got work for you to do. How about a guy named Simon Peter? Remember the deal in the book of Acts? Where God says, breaks in on Simon Peter's reality. He says, hey man, I need you to go down here to this place to do named Cornelius. He really kind of needs you. You can go read that story. But for Simon Peter, everything changed. Matter of fact, for the church, everything changed that day. How about the Apostle Paul? God breaks in his reality on a road to Damascus. God breaks in his reality through a dream. God, our vision, God breaks into Paul's life, and everything changes. That is how God works. But what comes with that, if we followed each of those stories out, we see God in his provision every step of the way, giving them everything they need to be obedient to the light that he's given them. Let me see if I can bring that home. Because this is all, this whole series is about living in faith and understanding the call of God on our lives and responding to it in a day-to-day kind of basis and trusting him. So let me put it down on the bottom shelf uh, with a guy that I talked to not too long ago. He, he doesn't live in this area. You, uh, most of you, probably none of you would know him uh, except my immediate family people. But I was talking to him about a situation and, and he had this thing come up at work. Now, this guy loves the Lord. and He's trying to honor the Lord with his life and Uh, And so he ran into this situation. He he works very much in a non-spiritually conducive to growth kind of an environment. In other words, it's a long way from church work. And so he gets to work one day, and it becomes obvious that his immediate boss is out to get him. And so he's not really sure how to deal with that. He says from his own background, he knew he'd been in business a long time. He knew how to deal with things. But in this particular case, he kind of thinking about it, it kind of blew him away enough that it was so far from the norm for him. He he said, I found myself just rocking backwards going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do about this. It's all unfounded, yet my boss is after me. What do I do with this? And it was in the middle of that questioning time that he said, it's almost like God split heaven open. And he broke into his reality and he said, this is what you're to do here. Let me stop that for just a second and, and ask you in a really kind of a point-blank way. Do you really believe that God does that kind of talking to his people? Yes, he does. you think he cares enough about the day-to-day garbage of your life to break in and give you a specific word about a specific situation? If you don't believe that, let me just encourage you to try him at that. Because the reality is God not only does that in Scripture, He's done that all through life, all through history for us. And He cares about your life. And so in this particular case, He gives a specific point of information to this guy. And He says, this is how you deal with that. And and the guy said, it's not really anything like I normally would have done. So I know it wasn't me dreaming it up. It was God saying to do this. I talked to him then a while after that, actually a period of months after that occurred. And he was telling me about the beginning side of it. But then he started talking about how through the process he watched God work that boss over. And he said, and through all of it, I had this sense of peace. And I had this sense of awareness that God had not brought me this far in life to abandon me now. You know what we call that in church terminology? The churchiness of that is God blessed him. I'm I'm, I'm always hesitant to use the churchy words because we don't always think through what they mean. Bless is one of those. Matter of fact, we find it in this passage a couple of times I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing, that kind of thing. In in that case, the Hebrew word here means to make firm. It's a word picture that says you're not going to live on squishy ground where you don't know where you stand. I'm going to build you up and strengthen you in the midst of all of that. God has a plan for your life. So you need to listen. And I'm encouraging you to build into every day in your life that time to listen for the voice of God. And he'll use a multitude of different methods to get his word to you. But if you're listening, he'll see to it that you can hear what he has to say. But here's the thing that we need to really watch out for, especially if you happen to be a planner. See, I'm a planner. And so when we get ready to go on vacation two weeks ago today... And I had a full day and it was meetings after meetings. When I got off of the final meeting or out of the final meeting that I had two Sundays ago, I went home. It's like, I don't know, 8, 8.30, something like that. And then Teresa and I decided we're going to plan where we're going for our vacation. Ooh, that eats me up. I need to know ahead of time. I need to have agendas. I need to have a place to stay. I need to know where we're going to eat. But you see here, for those of us who are planners... We can plan God right out of our schedule. And here's another thing. When God shows up in our schedule, the human condition is to tend to just want to camp out right there. And so we get into that picture of the children of Israel and the Exodus time as they're wandering through the wilderness and God made clear to them so that they would know exactly when it's time to leave and when it's time to stay. So he had a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And yet we're like them and we like to, you know, kind of put our tent down and live there. And God has to have an earthquake to drive us away from where he used to be. God has a plan, but God's plan is on the move always. So let me get into verses two and three a little more directly now. Here's what I want you to have gotten so far. God has a specific plan for your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to know that's the beginning of the plan. He plans for you to have life, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Let's pick it up now, verse 2 and 3. There's a couple of truths I want us to get, and I'm probably not going to have time to get both of them, so let me just get what I can here. Here's the basic overarching thing. Okay, God... And his plan will take you further than you can even imagine. Look what he says in the first part of verse two. And I will make of you a great nation. I could get in there and I could unpack that whole thing for us and we could look at the language of what Paul's, I mean, excuse me, what God is saying to Abram there. But here's the kind of the summary statement of it. God is about to do something new. And he's going to use Abram to do it. That's actually a huge statement. If you go back a little bit and look at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, you will find man doing his absolute worst. We find the creation. We find the fall in the Garden of Eden. And we move beyond that and we we get to this one mistake after another, the ever-deepening cost and presence of sin in mankind till finally God gets to the point with, who's the dude in the boat? Noah. and The first 11 chapters. And God says, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore. And so he wipes out all except for Noah and his immediate family and then they blow it on the other side. The first 11 chapters of the Bible, of the book of Genesis actually are the ones that set us up for verse for chapter 12 and every chapter that comes after that in the Bible. Because in chapter 12, verse 1, when God says to this guy, Abram, I have a plan for your life. I want you to get up and go. I'm going to do these things for you. The first thing that he says I'm going to do for you is I'm going to make of you a great nation. And this now is God. And even today, Jews look backwards to this time. We as Christians look backwards to this time. This is when God breaks into the reality in a fresh way and salvation history begins here as we see the hand of God as he systematically moves us to a place that ultimately takes us to the cross where Jesus Christ becomes the final payment for the sin that we each have. And it all starts in these few verses. And this guy, Abram, has no clue at this point in his life. I'm sure at this point he has no clue the depth of what God is doing here. God says to him in a number of ways here, seven different ways, I'm going to bless you, but we need to hear this. The blessing is not just for him. The blessing of God's plan is that he opens the door of grace to all of us. Abram's just the first guy. He's just the one that God uses on the front side to say, hey, let's move forward. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And out of that nation will come one, divinely born, who will take away the sin of the world. Abram stands at the front of a long line of people who are called to extend grace. I love the drama thing that we had here today because it emphasized the personal reality of our need for Jesus Christ and the confrontation that we have with him. One of the statements here we need to make sure we get this is a great nation, it says. This is, this is not just saying to Abram, go over there to another place and we'll just start a new country with you. That, that is the word, by the way. It's country. It's the, the political, the, the territorial word. It's not just an identity. It's a physical place. By the way, that place, the one God promised here, we call Well, in scriptural, in our church terms, we call it the promised land. That's the Old Testament Israel part of it. But what do people call it today? You're going to take a tour of the holy land. God seems to have been serious about this. Millennia later, it's still that place that we identify as the place where God said, I'm doing a work in my people. But it's not just in my people, it's also through my people. The last part of verse 2 becomes critical for us. The English breaks down a little bit for us, although I think it, you know you, you can get a couple of different ways of translating this. But I, I think the English, the way we have it here, it says, so that you will be a blessing. In other words, God says, I'm going to do this for you so that you can be a blessing. But you can also translate that part in the original language there as a command. And I think that's probably better what Jesus means here. I mean, what God means here. I'm good with you, Jesus in all of this. What God says to Abram is, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make you a great nation. But that extends far beyond you. You're just a piece in this long history of grace. But he gets to the end of verse 2. And he says to Abram and by extension to us. And you be a blessing. You see this is the difference between what I think is paramount through scripture. And some of what we get in the prosperity gospel that we hear so much about these days 99% at least 99% of the time when you hear somebody say you just believe God for it you just trust God for it. 99% of the time that comes back to what's good for me but you know scripture never lets us stop with a consumer Christianity it is not just about me As a matter of fact, if I understand the whole thrust of the New Testament, it's not about me at all other than God loves me, Jesus died for me, he gives me life, and Jesus immediately says, okay, now get out there and tell somebody about it. So God says to Abram, I'm going to do this for you, but you be a blessing. Now, there's a natural consequence there. When we are obedient to Christ, we are a blessing to people. But we also have to choose to step out of our comfortable, consumer-oriented Christian lives and tell somebody. How long has it been since you told somebody about God's blessing? Who is it in your circle God has strategically placed you into a circle of people who desperately need him. Who is it in that circle that desperately needs you to tell them about grace? I'll close with this. One of the things we did while we were gone is we went to Branson, Missouri. Now, I would suggest you eat before you go because we didn't find any food worth eating there. Well, with one exception, I guess. Uh... That didn't stop me from trying, but we didn't find a whole lot of good stuff. But one of the shows that we went to in Branson, some people in our church had suggested we go up there. And so um, we went to this, I guess the best way to say it is a kind of a Broadway musical. Is that fair enough? Okay. You know the problem with musicals is it's a good story, but as soon as the story gets good, somebody's got to sing, and it just ruins the whole thing. Um, but <laughs> in this case... <laughs> In this case, it was incredible, right? And so I'm sitting there and Teresa's done, seen some uh, some off-Broadway kind of musical stuff. And so I said, is this like you see Broadway? She said, yeah, this is like the same kind of deal. So uh, it was the quality was incredible, but it was the story of Jonah. And the reason it's still in my mind is, is bec- you know the story of Jonah, right? God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. You tell these people, these wicked people... Uh, uh, that, you know, I'm going to judge them and destroy them, and they don't, you know, it's the original Turner-Burn sermon. <clears throat> so Jonah goes, eventually. And that part's all well and good, and, you know, that that was a good part of the story. And I, you know, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, I mean, gripped me, and, and I still see it playing out and sense it, is the way those musicians and actors communicated the depth of emotion tied with God's forgiveness. It was moving. I know the story. I've preached through it many times. I, I, I knew where they were going with the story. I knew they were actors and singers. And yet the way they conveyed the personal sense of relief when they knew that they had been freed from the punishment of sin was incredible. And it took me back to our nice, comfortable, cultural Christianity where we don't really make a big deal too much about being forgiven of our sin. In this one passage of Scripture, God steps into the human condition and says, We are going somewhere. And somewhere ends in grace. And that's good news for you. And that's better news for me. But it's also good news for those people around you. But if you don't tell them, how are they going to know? How long has it been? In this church, since we saw God reach people for his kingdom. I'm getting a little concerned about that, to be honest with you. Let's pray. And Father, we recognize that it is so easy for us just to slip into a western philosophical point of reference where me and I rule the day on every topic. We confess before you that we've been much too personal about the gift of salvation and not nearly serious enough in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for us as a church is that you would burn within us a passionate concern for people who are living in sin and need your touch. May it move us and shake us if necessary. Help us to see the people of this community, our friends, family members, neighbors, people that we do business with, help us to see them in their need for you and to realize that we are just the latest link of a chain that goes all the way back to Abram and all the way forward to the end of time. And help us to be faithful to hear your voice, to be moved, to act, regardless of the cost. And Father, I pray even now in this service if there's anybody who needs Jesus Christ, they feel the weight of their sin, they recognize the separation and the, the, the consequence that that brings in their life, that even now, your spirit would be at work in them, drawing them to yourself, and that we would see people come to know you and come step into life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.